So we're in Romans. And uh, one of the beautiful parts about the gospel is how many multiple meetings it has and how many different facets there are to it. So in light of the fact that we're having baptisms today, I want to talk about baptism. Like, why not, right? So what is baptism, right? And what, like, what's its purpose? You know, we, uh, as Stephanie said, you know, she, when she was a girl, she did it just because her family was doing it. You know, and so like, what do we mean when we, when we baptize ourselves? What do, what do we mean when we do this? So I just wanted to go through and let's talk about what we mean. So I want to start with verse 3 of Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So Think about that for just a minute. Paul is saying that we are dying. We die when we're baptized. We die to something. Jesus used to say this a lot, right? He used to say, whoever will not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, right? That if you want to follow me, you must die to yourself. So Paul is expanding on this idea because we are literally following Jesus to the cross and putting our flesh to death. We no longer identify with living the life of the flesh. Go to verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, because we have this thing where we're always thinking about the, the far-flung future, right? <coughs> Pardon me. We have a tendency to think about this only in terms of, I will rise from the dead one day. But that's not all Paul means, because... When you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. So we identify with the death of Christ. And then we are raised as a new creation into newness of life. It's not like we're waiting around till we, till we die and then, right, we have newness of life right now. I want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 3. And uh, we're going to go to verse 13. All right. So we're going to get we're going to go from verse 13 to 17. So right. If we really want to capture what does baptism mean, let's go back to let's go back to Jesus and what he did and why he did it, right? So, let's read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to, to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you and you come to me." But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. <clears throat> and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now they were baptizing in the Jordan. Why the Jordan? Why not some other place? The, oh, what? Yeah, there's a significance there. That's not what I was thinking of, but that's actually really cool. Do you guys hear that? The Jordan flows into the Dead Sea. I like that. That's good. So think about when did Israel come to the promised land? What did they cross? The Jordan. Now here's the thing. It's, it gets way better than this, right? How did they cross the Jordan? They walked through it. Yeah, they walked through it. And they followed the presence of God through the waters of the Jordan. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Joshua chapter 3. We'll start in verse 11. Apologies, my uh, voice does not like me lately. It does this right around this time of year, the pollen or whatever, the weird stuff that's floating everywhere. Other people get like less annoying problems. I get this annoying problem. Whatever. It is what it is. All right. So behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents and to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout that time. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, the Dead Sea. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Look, he could have just had them build something. You know, you know there weren't bridges. You're telling me there were no bridges along the Jordan River or they couldn't have gone around somewhere else, right? We know the geography down there, over there. Why did God have him cross the Jordan? For the same reason he had him cross the Red Sea. Because the old life is gone and the new life has come. And so the people of God follow the presence of God 
who they were is left behind in the river, in the land they came from, and who they are now, who they have born to become, joins them on the other side. <clears throat> now, what were they called to do when they went to Israel, when they went to the promised land? I'm pretty sure that what God said is, all right, so I want you to cross the Jordan River. Then when you get there, I want you to set up some rows of chairs. And I want you to sit around and talk about how happy you are that you don't live in Egypt anymore. And that's it. You guys could just sit around and hang out till you're dead, and that'll be it. That, that, no, that's not what happened. Right. He commanded them to take the land that he had given them. Jesus takes hold of baptism in the Jordan. He's connecting himself to that idea of the return from exile, the walk with God through the waters of baptism, the walk with God through the waters where who we were is gone and dead and buried and who we are, who we were made to be, now can become a reality. See, a lot of times when we speak about dying to ourselves, we often talk of it in very high, high highfalutin, pious kind of language. Well, I need to sacrifice, right? I'm going to sacrifice this because I'm a holy. But the truth is that when we die to ourselves, it's all of those things that aren't really who we are that die. I'll say that one more time. When you die to yourself, it's all the things that aren't really you that die. All those things you're convinced that you need, that you don't need, they die. The things that aren't worth your time, they die. Those things you're convinced you need, those sinful desires, that pride in your heart dies. All the dark desires, they die. And when we step in a newness of life, we step into a life with God where we no longer have to be slaves to those things. You see, the great lie that's told the Western church and the Eastern church too is that you're all still sinners. You're not. You're done. Are we still going to wrestle with sin? Yeah, sure. I wrestle with sin every day. I mean, well, I think I'm perfect, but Emily knows that I wrestle with sin every day. But you were not called to just step out of the waters of baptism and then stand on the shore, right? You're looking out over a whole new land. You know that song, the Aladdin song, A Whole New World? Yeah. Whole New World, I can't sing right now, sorry. It would have sounded a lot better. So you're looking out over this horizon. But it's easy, right? We want to stand basking in the glow of our, of our decision. So we stand on the banks of the Jordan, looking at the horizon, looking at the promised land, but we won't move forward. We weren't saved out of a previous life. 
so that we could stand on the banks of the new one and say, oh, this is great. We were brought into newness of life to conquer. But here's the thing. This is the beauty of following Jesus. We're not conquering people now. Because the Bible says our war is not with flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the dark forces that rule this world. Your enemy isn't the random Democrat you know, the random Republican you know that you don't like. Your, your enemy isn't the Muslim down the street, not the frustrating atheist person in your work. Your enemy's not your boss. Your enemy are the ideas, are the principalities that have captured their souls and poisoned their minds. We were baptized into the death of Christ. And we were raised to newness of life. Because who we are can only be found through death and resurrection. Only when we die to the things that we think we can't live without. Only then can we find who we really are. Jesus and John the Baptist were out in the wilderness calling out Israel to repent. You see, Jesus was redefining what it meant to be the people of God. That was a key aspect of his ministry. A lot of the stuff he did, inexplicable otherwise. We just think it's some kind of sign. Well, we just want to... <coughs> sorry. We'll look at that sign and we'll be like, oh, yeah, it's just so that you know, we would know he's God. No. Jesus feeds the 5,000 because he's the bread of heaven. He wants to show that he's the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus goes after the food laws. Not because, like, for us, like, oh, well, it's silly, you know, to ban food from people. That doesn't make sense. But in that time, the people of God were defined by what they ate. You know, we're Jews. We're not like those weirdo pagans. We don't eat these 10,000 things. Instead, he changed what it means around himself. So now, pardon me, Now I got something in my throat. It's the worst. Yeah, actually, I'll take one of those. Can you guys sing that song? The Ricola song? That's good stuff. The presence of God entered baptism first with us, right? The Ark of the Covenant preceded the people of Israel. Jesus enters baptism 
ahead of us. Calls us to follow him. When we baptize ourselves, <coughs> we baptize ourselves into his death. Because who we were is not who we're supposed to be. Who Israel was in the desert, wandering around 40 years, that's not who they were supposed to be. So they walked through these waters with the presence of God into a newness of life. Jesus redefined what it meant to be the people of God. And he redefined it all around himself. Not the Sabbath, not what we eat or don't eat, but around a faith relationship with him. And we identify ourselves with that faith relationship with him through the waters of baptism as we identify with his death and therefore identify with his new life. This is the beauty of baptism. This is why it's beautiful. The idea that who we were is gone and something new has come. Something new that still has to wrestle with consequences, right? Like we don't, you know, the bad decisions we made don't magically disappear. That would be really cool, right? If like there's a total reset and nothing that you did that was wrong came back to haunt you later. It'd probably be an easier sell. (laughs) Instead, you're equipped in a way that you never were before to handle the things you, the mistakes that you made before. And the man or woman that you are is now something better, something stronger, something fuller, something more real. You ever, um, you ever feel like there's that one thing in your life that you're never going to beat? That one sinful desire that seems to get you every time? Or that one thing, that one thing out there, the finances or relationship with a family member that never seems quite right? You guys know what I'm talking about. That, that one family member that you're just like, oh, I need this. I need this to be fixed right now. Sometimes that's our spouse even for a little while, right? You just want to like, you know what, darling? I need to go over here for a while. The beauty of the gospel is that you're not a prisoner to those things anymore. We don't have to agree with Satan when he says, yeah, you're this. Yeah, you're just a proud guy. Yeah, you're stupid. Yeah, you're worthless. 
yeah, you're this, you're that. We don't have to agree with any of that because Jesus bought us with his life. So we know we're not worthless because if you're worth the death of God, that's pretty valuable. And we know we're not stupid because we weren't made to be that. And we know we don't have to be full of our own pride because Jesus teaches us how not to be. We know we don't have to be greedy anymore because God is full of abundance and provides. We know we don't have to be afraid all the time anymore because the Holy Spirit is our comfort and He is our guide. Who you were was ruled by those things. Ruled by the passions. Look, Right When you manipulate people, I grew up learning how to manipulate people because I was just tall all the time. When you manipulate people, the, the, the big thing you learn how to do is figure out what they want and then pretend that they'll get it if they do what you want. That's what you do. It's actually pretty simple. I know that's a terrible thing for me to say, but it's true. It's how you can get Large groups of people to do what you want, even though they shouldn't. It's how we find ourselves in weird places. Like, how am I, you know, doing this cocaine again? Why am I looking at that on the internet again? I know know this is destructive. Here I am again. Why am I gambling on that again? I know this is going to be really dumb and I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Here I am again. I know that I shouldn't buy this because I have 10,000 versions of the same thing. I'm going to do it again. Why? Because we listen, because we believe that if we just do this one thing, we'll get this one thing we want. But when we follow Christ and we're a new creation, we have a way to defend ourselves. We can say, no, I can get that from Jesus. Or even better sometimes, and often this is far more true, no, I don't really need that. When we follow Jesus, we learn often that we don't really need the things that we were convinced we needed before. I like being respected and held in high esteem. I have always wanted that from the time I was a little kid. And it took a while for me to grow out of following Jesus because I had no chance of escaping this on my own. It took a while to learn that I didn't actually need the respect of other people the way that I thought I did. That what I needed was the respect of God. What I needed was the respect of my wife. But of a whole bunch of people everywhere or everyone I've ever met, not only is that impossible, but it's also a lie. My favorite movie is Gladiator. Who's seen Gladiator? Yeah, Gladiator is a good movie. My favorite movie is Gladiator because of Commodus. Because I can relate to Commodus' desire for everyone to love him. 
Which, by the way, Gladiator doesn't make sense unless you understand that Commodus doesn't want the throne for the throne's sake. He wants it because he wants everyone to love him. Once you figure that out, you're like, oh, this movie is amazing. Until that, you're like, wait, why did he just do that? That doesn't make sense. Commodus wants desperately to be loved by everyone he sees. And that's also why he hates Maximus, because Maximus is pretty much loved by everyone who sees him. You ever meet that person, that infuriating person? No matter what they do, they just walk in a room. Everyone's like, hey, what's up? You're awesome. Guy like, literally like the guy just walked across the room, took a drink, did nothing interesting. Wow, look at the way he walked across the room. Look at that saunter. Man, look at that hair. That's awesome. Wish I could be that. Wow, look at how tall that guy is. That's usually my first thought. Look at how tall that guy is. So Maximus is like that guy. He literally just, whatever he did, people liked him. Commodus hated him because Commodus desperately wanted all of that. And the lie, of course, is that you, you can never really have all of that. You can't have the love and respect of everyone around you, of everyone you ever meet, right? The president of the United States, the most powerful position in the world, right? Everything that guy does, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, a hundred million people hate his guts, The guy can't do anything right. He can't go to the bathroom right. He can't get out of the bed in the morning right. He can't breathe right. He can't pick a water bottle off the table and put it down right. Everything he does is wrong, all right? And when a Democrat gets in office, for the Republicans, everything he does will be wrong. Promise. Because I just watched it for eight years. Literally, like, the guy's like, oh, he looked, looked, did you see how he looked at his daughter? That was terrible. Like, all right, guys, calm yourselves. You can't, no matter how powerful you are, Not everyone will love you. It's just how it is. And you don't really need that. You know how long it took me to figure that out? It was a long time. I wasted a lot of years chasing the respect and love of people that I barely knew. But once I learned it was a lie, that was freedom. What you need is Christ. And whatever he has to offer. What you need is the family he's given you. And that death to ourselves, as we identify with Christ in baptism, is that death to all those lies that we believed. And that newness of life is that step into a new understanding of Oh, I don't need that anymore. I can just follow Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And it's so much more powerful than we can imagine. The far-reaching implications of our lives. It's incredible. I've gotten a little carried away. I love you too. But as we follow Christ, as our three intrepid adventurers follow Christ, 
into the waters of baptism and step out into newness of life. Let's encourage them not to stand on the shore and bask in the afterglow for too long. We'll enjoy it for a little bit. But then there is work to do because we were called to be more than conquerors. Because God says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And because we are no longer shackled by all those things that used to tie us down, now that horizon is within our reach. It's within your reach. I have loved watching you grow. It has been a joy. And I can't wait to see what happens. It is within our reach. Whatever it is that God has called you to, whatever dream that God has put in your heart, it's within your reach because you have followed Christ into newness of life and you have been transformed into something that is truly human. We are the intersection of heaven and earth, the place where the divine meets the material. We were always made for that, and as we follow Christ, we can become that so much more every day. Everywhere you go, you take that intersection of heaven and earth with you. You take a piece of the glory of God with you. You give everyone around you an opportunity to know their creator through you. So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. You've been called in a newness of life. Don't be content on the shore, but strike out into the world, into the the beautiful places that God has for you. And they will not be easy to take because your enemy will fight you. But nothing worth doing has ever been easy. And that's the challenge. You are new creations. People who belong to the Most High. People who carry heaven in your soul. Be those people. John said so many things that uh, we can take to our heart. And uh, it's a springboard for us this summer. Because a lot of you have been in Christ for so many years, but you are not dead. There's going to be a deadness to us that comes this summer. But in dying, there's going to be that newness of life. Something can't be resurrected until it dies. Amen? Jesus Christ was dead, but now he lives. Because of his great power within us, we have died to self, and we come alive to Christ Jesus. Many of you are at the Jordan's Bank and have been there for years. As we progress in our relationships with one another and our relationships with God, you're going to be taking some steps into the promised land. Amen?
and you're going to leave Egypt behind. The Israelites' problem was they were always looking back. Always looking back. Let's not look back. Amen? Amen. Old things are behind. All things are new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. See, John brought out a great point, is that we are already everything that we should be in Christ Jesus. Because He has provided salvation for us, now we just begin to walk in that. And we walk in that knowing that we are not obligated anymore to pay the bills of our flesh and of the world and of Satan's bidding. Amen? Aren't you glad that when a bill is paid, a bill is paid? And your market paid in full. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Every provision for you to take the land is found in Christ Jesus. You are what you should be right now because of what Christ has done. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's act like it. Let's behave like it. Let's worship like it. Let's die like it. And let's live like it. Amen? Amen.